Uh, today we're going to continue our study of the book of Matthew. And um, so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and start making your way uh, to, the, uh, to the book of Matthew. Uh, this morning we're going to be covering the first 20 verses of Matthew chapter 15 uh, in a message that I've entitled, Tradition Matters. And we're going to be looking at uh, some traditions, traditions of that day, and uh, look to make application in regards to maybe some traditions that we may hold uh, today as well. Okay? In our text, Jesus is going to uh, once again be confronted by the scribes and Pharisees, and they're going to exchange some pointed word. He's going to exchange some pointed words with them. And so, uh, just to, to start off, we will get through verse twenty, but just to start, we're going to start with verses one through nine as we read. And so, I want to invite you guys to stand with me as we read this morning's uh, opening verses, Matthew chapter fifteen, verses one through nine. Verse 1, it begins. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Verse 7, Jesus says, Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and just uh, blessed to be able to gather together with the, uh, my brothers and sisters to spend time in your word. And we pray that uh, as we look to just glean from your word, that you would lead and guide our time this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be, even be preparing our hearts uh, and to receive what you would uh, have for us. And I know that uh, corporately together, I believe you have a, a message for us as a body. And I believe even as individuals that you have something that you want to specifically speak to our hearts about. And so, Lord, may we be attentive and expectant that you're going to speak here this morning through your word. And we look forward to our time together. Leading guide, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. In the opening verses of chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we see here some scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem have entered the scene. And, and we can't say for sure that these men were sent on official business as a delegation of sorts, but it would, uh, wouldn't be too difficult to believe uh, that possibility. Okay, it's very plausible uh, that... 
word of Jesus and his ministry had spread to Jerusalem. He's already spent uh, time there previously before, and so the people know about him. Uh, But word is spreading. The multitudes are growing larger and larger. And so it's very plausible to consider that the higher-ups within Jerusalem were wanting to find out more information about this man, uh, Jesus, doing ministry in the region of Galilee. And so these Pharisees, these scribes from Jerusalem come to see Jesus. And when they arrive on scene, they notice something that caused them to be greatly concerned regarding the behavior and actions of Jesus' disciples. They saw Jesus' disciples breaking some of the traditions of the elders. Okay? The traditions of the elders, it really refers to any kind of uh, teaching, written or spoken, that had been handed down from generation to generation. And the Jews actually believe that Moses was given more than just what was recorded in Scripture when he went up onto the mountain to meet with God. And he was there 40 days and 40 nights, and we know about that account. And there was... He was given some things, and those things were penned in what they called the written law or the written uh, Torah. But they also believe he was given much more. And at that, those words were part of the oral tradition, or what they call the oral law, the oral Torah. And that that was being passed on from generation to generation uh, orally without being uh, written down. And so they had this tradition Uh, An oral tradition. The traditions that were kept through the years were believed to have their roots in this oral law that was passed from generation to generation. And so subsequently, after actually after the destruction of the temple and uh, the loss of the the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD, really was the catalyst to getting together and actually putting these oral traditions, these oral laws into a book. And uh, it was decided to gather them up, pin these traditions, and now it's in a book what they call the Mishnah. If you're familiar, there's the, the Mishnah, and there's actually um, the Talmud, which is basically the Mishnah, and the commentaries of the different rabbis all gathered together in a book. They call that the Talmud. But the Mishnah, it's these oral laws that were passed down. And the Pharisees accused the disciples of transgression. Now, the word transgress is used in the New Testament to indicate a moral violation. Okay? If you were accused of transgression, you were being accused of a moral violation. Basically, the Pharisees were accusing the disciples of being in sin, that what they did was sinful. They were uh, violating a moral code, uh, this tradition. And so today, we're going to be looking at the issue of traditions. Uh, We're going to note a number of problems that can come from following traditions. And as a disclaimer, I do want to put this out there, because I think some of you, maybe you're getting ready, uh, maybe a little defensive, because we we like our traditions, and and we all hold to certain traditions. Uh, As a disclaimer, I do want to state that not all traditions are bad. Uh, In and of themselves, They're not bad. Uh, Some traditions can be good, actually, and some traditions can be used to help us 
draw closer uh, to the Lord. And so uh, traditions in of themselves are not necessarily bad. There are a number of traditions that are, are still part of modern-day churches. Okay? Uh, and, and they're not necessarily bad. Okay? We observe certain seasons in, within church. That's a tradition. It's not necessarily something that's commanded within Scripture. And we have the, uh, the Advent, the Christmas Advent, right? It's not something that's necessarily commanded from the Scriptures, uh, but it's something that people have done traditionally. And we have the, uh, you may have the Advent calendar, and it's the 25 days in Christmas, and you open up each day, and you do different things in preparation of the celebration of Jesus' coming. Even right now, we're in a season, uh, that part of a traditional season called Lent. And Lent is very similar to that of the Advent, a season of building up and, and preparation, not for Christmas, but for um, just remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there's a season of Lent. Okay? Uh, we have Ash Wednesday that starts at 40 days prior, and certain people will maybe fast from certain foods or, or uh, give up certain things for 40 days during this time of Lent in preparation uh, to make our hearts just ready for the Lord and to be mindful of Him. Okay? There's nothing wrong with, with Lent. Okay? We observe the Lord's Supper. Some, some churches observe the Lord's Supper every week they gather together. Some, like us, we do it once a month. Others do it um, more sporadically, maybe, you know, just from time to time during special occasions. Okay? We have various views of styles of worship. Okay? Some like having a choir to lead the congregation. Some like the pipe organ and the hymnals. Hey, others, you know, prefer guitars and contemporary praise. Some people are, are King James only. Others, they, they like the newer translations of modern English, the New King James, the NIV, the ESV. Some like to follow a strict liturgy, liturgy excuse me, that has uh, responsive reading and prayers, uh, candles and kneeling. Uh, some like pews, others like chairs. And, and so we have all these different traditions within the church, even today, you know, that some follow one and others follow another. We even have different traditions on things like our dress. Okay? Certain volunteers at, at some churches, they wear special robes okay? and, and gowns uh, if they're going to be serving uh, certain aspects of the church service. Some hold to a, a tradition of wearing their Sunday best. You know, uh, some ladies like to wear their church hats and little girls like to wear their uh, Sunday school dress or their, their church dress. Uh, and so uh, some take a more casual approach as more just come as you are. Again, none of those are bad within themse- in, and of, in and of themselves. None of them. Uh, but to those that hold to certain traditions, we need to be careful and how we view those that choose not to follow those traditions that we follow. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. For today's portion of Scripture, we're going to highlight some of the negative aspects of traditions as Jesus deals with them in our portion this morning. And so the very first thing that I want to note about traditions is based upon the scribes and Pharisees' accusations towards the disciples that they were in violation of moral standards. And it, they basically they were saying, you're in sin because you're not following the tradition of the elders. And the very first point in regards to 
traditions is that following traditions can sometimes create in us a, a judgmental attitude towards others that don't follow our traditions. Okay? The scripture tells us that we're not to judge another brother concerning things that are what I would call non-essentials, but what the scriptures talk about as doubtful things. All of Romans chapter 14 really addresses this issue about people that choose to worship on certain days or choose to eat certain things or not to eat. And, and it's a very good read. I would encourage you to read through Romans 14 in consideration of the traditions that we keep. Romans 14 verse 4 says, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And in verse 10 of chapter 14 in the book of Romans, it says, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in verse 12 and 13, it concludes, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Traditions, or the lack thereof, should not create in our heart judgment towards our other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to be careful about that when we consider the traditions that we keep. Because that's basically what's happening here in this portion of Scripture. Okay? The scribes and the Pharisees have come to judge and to condemn their fellow Jew for not keeping what they admit to being traditions of men and not the commandments of God. Should we speak up if a brother or sister is in direct violation of the commandments of God? Absolutely. Okay? We have a responsibility to do so. Okay? In a loving and gracious manner, we need to come to them and explain to them their er- error to encourage them to turn from their, uh, the si- their sin but not when it comes to the traditions of men. Okay? We're not to, to judge others, and, and we're not to uh, try and correct people and, and make them follow our own traditions. Well, what was this great moral violation that the disciples had committed? They ate bread without first washing their hands. Okay? And <laughs> don't get... Don't get the wrong picture, okay? It's not like it's mom, you know, like when you're a mom, you can go wash your hands before you eat dinner. It's not that kind of wash your hands, okay? It wasn't like a hygiene police that these scribes and Pharisees came out and said, oh, you didn't wash your hands, you're going to get germs, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It, that wasn't what was going on, okay? What they were referring to was the ceremonially, ceremonial washing of the hands prior to partaking of bread, Okay? Mark's gospel tells us that they found fault with the disciples because they ate bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands. It goes on in the book of Mark to describe how the Pharisees and Jews, they would not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way. There was a very special way that they would wash their hands. And, And I was trying to find out, and you can actually, if you want, Go home. You can Google it. There's like tutorial videos on how to wash your hands ceremonially. I was very impressed. But according to the resources that I was looking through, the proper way to ceremonially wash your hands before eating was to place your hands in an upright manner, okay, and then have a very uh, uh, 
symbolic and very uh, uh, a very loving gesture would be have someone wash your hands for you. And so you would have your hands, you'd place them in an upright fashion like so, and someone would pour water onto your fingers, and then that water would run down to your hands. But you had to keep your hands in an upright manner like this so that the water would drain off from your wrist. You didn't want the water running down your arm. Okay? You would rub like this. Then you would take your hands and put them downwards. And they would subsequently put water on it again. And this time, you would then take uh, your left palm, rub it over your right fist, and then take your right palm, rub it over your left fist, then you could dry your hands. And that was how you would ceremonially wash your hands. Okay, Quite extensive, and I thought, wow, that is very interesting. Okay, It was very important uh, that actually before they would dry their hands, they would say a special prayer. And they had to make sure that they said the prayer before drying hands, or else it wouldn't work, and they'd have to redo it again. And, it wouldn't be. And, so, uh, and then you had to be quiet before. You couldn't say anything else until you actually partook of the bread. And so, uh, Jesus' disciples, they evidently didn't ceremonially wash their hands before eating bread. And this was a major offense, according to the scribes and Pharisees. The, the thought behind uh, the pouring of the water, the first pouring was to cleanse your hands of anything that was unclean. Then the second pouring was to wash the dirty water that was unclean because it touched your unclean hands off. And so the first one was to wash your hands. The second one was to wash the water that was unclean off of your hands. And so there would be two subsequent pourings of these uh, upon your hands. Very interesting. So let's see what Jesus had to say about their tradition of washing hands. Verse 3, it says, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Jesus, as he often liked to do, he answered their question with a question of his own. Jesus accused the scribes and Pharisees of transgression, just as the scribes and Pharisees had accused his disciples of transgression. However, this transgression was not a transgression. Let me start that over. However, this transgression was not a transgression of the tradition of the elders but rather a transgression of the commandment of God. Jesus, in his question, accused the scribes and Pharisees of breaking God's commandment because of the tradition they kept. And this is something that can happen with traditions. We place the observance of tradition over the observance of God's commandment and His Word. And I want to just highlight something very simple that most of you probably are very familiar with and know that a simple truth, that traditions should never be held above the Word of God. We actually can see through church history, this is something that became a big problem. So much so that it caused a great movement known as the Protestant Reformation. The Roman Catholic Church had allowed traditions to come into practice that were completely against the clear teaching and understanding of the Scriptures. And this caused a man by the name of Martin Luther to put together a letter 
that combated some of the traditions that were being practiced, one in particular, the selling of indulgences. And we won't go into a history lesson, but I'm sure Ken would like to tell you all about that. He loves history. And, and we see here, he, he put together this list. Uh, it's commonly referred to as his 95 Theses. If you've gone through history lessons, you've probably heard of this list of things that Martin Luther had against the church and their practices. And sadly, even today, there are churches that hold some traditions that are over the clear teaching of the Word of God. Okay? And it shouldn't be that way. We need to be careful of that. Jesus gives an example of one of the many things. Actually, according to the, the Gospel of Mark, Mark uh, explains how Jesus said, this is just one of the many things that you do that are against the word of God. He gives one example of this, uh, that the scribes and Pharisees held. Uh, one example of their tradition that they held over the commandment of God. Let's read verses 4 through 6. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God then he need not honor his father or mother. And thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Jesus brings up a tradition that the scribes and Pharisees promoted that went against the fifth commandment of God to honor your father and your mother from Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 12. Also it's written and recorded for us in Deuteronomy the Ten Commandments. Jesus quoted along with the Fifth Commandment, Exodus chapter 21, verse 17, that taught that if anyone cursed father or mother, they were to be put to death. That's kind of a serious uh, uh, commandment, uh, law, uh, one that probably, never mind, I wanted it, yeah. Our kids, we, I think our kids know, obey your mom and dad for this pleasing to the Lord, but, Maybe they should know this one too. <laughs> Interestingly, the only commandment of the Ten Commandments that has a blessing attached to it for following it also has a curse attached to it for those that didn't follow it. Okay? The Scriptures teach us to honor our father and mother so that our days may be long upon the earth. And then Exodus twenty-one seventeen teaches us if we don't honor our father and mother that we're to have our life cut short. I thought that was just interesting. Anyways, Jesus said that one of the traditions that they kept allowed people to disregard God's commandment and to make it of no effect. How is that, how is that possible? What was this tradition of theirs? Okay. It was the tradition of dedicating things as gifts to the Lord. Mark's gospel actually gives us the name that was used for such a designated gift as something that was korban. Okay, korban. Mark 7 verse 11 tells us. And so the basic idea of korban was to identify money or goods of values as korban. They are a gift dedicated to God. If an item was korban, you could still keep it in your house and use it for your own purposes, but it was technically dedicated to God. Okay? By dedicating something as 
korban, you could still, uh, you could easily escape any financial responsibility to help others in need, even your own father and mother. For instance, if your father or mother were ill and in need of care and uh, the financial provisions for such care, even though you had the ability to help, you had those finances, you could say that your finances were korban, and and then be relinquished from having any responsibility to help. Obviously, honoring your father and mother doesn't simply mean to obey them when you're children. But also means to care for them in their old age and when they have needs of their own. By following the tradition of Korban, the scribes and the Pharisees were given giving people an excuse for not following the commandment to honor one's father and mother. And so that's what Jesus is talking about there when he says in verse 5 and 6, Uh, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God. He's saying, hey, whatever help I could have given to you, you know what, it's a gift of God. I'm sorry, it's korban. I can't help you. And then you wouldn't have any responsibility uh, to honor your father or to honor your mother and to help them in that manner. Also, I want to just look at, as we look at this example, I see that following tradition can also be made to look like your very spiritual and zealous for the Lord when that's really not the case. Okay? Following tradition can, can give someone sometimes a false sense of piety. These people followed the tradition of dedicating items as korban and made it look like their actions were very spiritual. Okay? Oh, this valuable item of mine, it's, it's korban. You know, it's... It's dedicated to God. It's all for the Lord. You know, or, or my finances, all my finances, they're korban. They're, you know, ooh, yeah, they're dedicated to the Lord. But the practice, it's interesting that the practice would allow people to appear as generous givers to the Lord. But in reality, they never were required to give the gift to the Lord of the temple. They can say it was korban, but then never have to follow through and give it. And so it was, it was really a useless thing. It was just an escape from financial responsibility. The idea of, of something being dedicated to God became meaningless. And that can happen in some of the traditions out there today as well. We, we may follow a tradition because we, we like the way it makes us feel. We feel you know, zealous or pious or it makes us feel like we're more godly. And if we're, we're doing something that, as if we were doing something really spiritual, but in re- reality, the, the tradition has little to no meaning to us whatsoever. It's just something that we do because we think it's godly. And, and we should be careful of traditions that create in us a false sense of piety or spiritual, spirituality. Traditions in and of themselves don't make us more spiritual and they don't make us more godly. Traditions don't do that. Let's continue. Verse 7, Jesus continues and he says, has some sharp words for the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus identified the scribes and Pharisees as hypocrites. Those are are some strong words. The word hypocrite actually has its roots in classical Greek uh, as stage playing. It uh, was used to describe people that would act uh, and, and put on a mask and pretend to be something they knew that they were not. Jesus identified these men as hypocrites and associated them with the men that the prophet Isaiah spoke of that said, said one thing, but their heart was somewhere completely different. Do we do that? I, I think sometimes we can do that. You know, when, we, when we sing our, our praise and worship songs, you know, do, we, do we say one thing with our mouth and our, with our lips, but our heart's really not in it? Do we really want God, uh, you know, as we talked about it, is, is God really our, our everything? Is He our all? Do we want Him to, to take our heart and seal it and just be all for the Lord? And, and do we look at the Lord and just be in awe of who He is and that He's holy and, and all these things? When we sing those words, are they just words? Are they just things that come out of our mouth, off of our lips, but our heart is far from it? I hope not. I hope that the words that we sing on on Sunday morning, they do come from our heart and not just from our lips. I think sometimes it's even good. I think, you know, it's blessed this morning. uh, Nick said, hey, this is a new song, so maybe you don't know it, but just look upon the words and reflect upon it and reflect upon the meaning of them. And, and, uh, you know, that's good. Sometimes, you know, if you don't know the song, that's okay. Don't feel like you have to sing it. The more important thing is understanding what we're singing about and honoring the, the Lord and worship of Him. We don't want to just give Him lip service. And that's what Jesus said these guys were doing. They, they drew near with their mouth and they honored with the lips, but their heart was nowhere near the Lord. Jesus declared that their worship was vain. Okay? The word vain, it implies fruitless or uh, false worship. Okay, it's a worship that's purposeless and useless. Jesus cited in connection to their fruitless worship, the act of teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Doctrines refer to the essential and fundamental teachings of a faith. Okay? Doctrine is, is rooted in the understanding and application of God's word. Okay? These men tried to place their man-made traditions on the same level as doctrine. Okay, on the same level of, of the Word of God. Because doctrine is, is rooted in the Bible and the Word of God. And we already noted how traditions should never be held above the Word of God. But here we see a danger in not necessarily elevating traditions above the Word of God, but even putting them upon the same level as the Word of God. And we should be careful about placing the same sort of emphasis upon the traditions as we do the Word of God. These men, they tried to teach that their traditions were just as important as the Word of God. The Jews, as I mentioned previously, they believed the oral law was just as inspired as the written law. Writers of the Jewish Talmud speak of how highly the scribes' words were and how the oral tradition, it was so weighty. I found one quote uh, from the uh, Talmudic writers. It says uh, this, 
The words of the scribes are lovely above the words of the law. For the words of the law are weighty and light, but the words of the scribes are all weighty. The words of the elders are weightier than the words of the prophets. The implication is that it was better to read the scribes than to read the prophets. And and that's putting the traditions of men in a place it ought not to be, on par with the inspired word of God. And traditions, no matter how good they may be, should not be given the same authority as that which is found in the word of God. Let's continue. Verse 10, it says, And when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Jesus called the multitudes to himself, and he wanted to make sure that everyone heard what he had to say. He spoke to them a a simple parable about defilement. Defilement involves the process of making something unclean or polluted. And the idea behind the tradition of washing hands was meant to prevent someone from defiling themselves with unclean food. They believed as that you would travel throughout the day, that it was very likely that you would come across something that would make you ceremonially unclean. Strict Jews and observing, uh, those that observed the strictest of uh, uh, the law would even consider dust that was kicked up by a, a Gentile walking by that had fallen upon you to make you ceremonially unclean. So if you're walking through the, the courts or you're walking through somewhere and you've got Gentiles walking around you, you could be unclean because the dust of them that they touched is now upon you and now you're unclean. And so if you were to eat food... With unclean hands, the thought of the day was that your unclean hands touching the bread made the bread unclean. Then as you would take the bread and and ingest it, that unclean bread would go in and make your insides and defile you from within. It would make you unclean because of this unclean bread. And so in order to prevent the uncleanness, Uh, of your hands being transferred to your food and then subsequently ingested, causing you to be defiled, they were ceremonially washed their hands. That's where this whole purpose came in. Let's wash our hands so that when uh, we touch the bread, we don't make it unclean, and then we can take it in and it won't defile us and make us unclean. Jesus addresses the issue that the scribes and the Pharisees initially brought back up, or brought up back in verse 20, or excuse me, verse 2 regarding the disciples not washing their hands. And Jesus declared that it wasn't what went into the mouth that defiled a man, but what came out of the mouth. That's what defiled a man. And Jesus is going to further explain this parable in verses 15 through 20. And so uh, let's continue on. Verse 12, it says, Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Do you know? When I read that, I just thought it was really funny and hilarious. It's like, I'm pretty sure he knew what he was doing. 
uh, he is Jesus and he is the Lord. Do you know um, that you offended the Pharisees back there? He's like, yeah, I know. Uh, These Pharisees, they were really upset with Jesus after he spoke against their tradition because basically what he said was that their tradition was useless. Since since food going into the mouth didn't defile man, their whole tradition of washing hands was was pointless. And, And that really upset them. That really offended them. And Jesus replied to the disciples and exclaimed, that every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. What did Jesus mean by this? I think it's very basic and very simple. Basically, Jesus is stating that everything that's not of the Lord won't last. These false teachers, they won't last. These false teachings, they won't last. They will eventually all be uprooted by the Lord and disposed of. And that's what he's saying. Don't worry about them. They're they're not going to last. That's not of me, and it's not going to last. Verse 14, Jesus says something that some may feel to be maybe cold or insensitive or or perhaps harsh. Jesus had, you know, as we look and see him through the gospel, we've seen that he had such a heart of compassion for the multitudes. And he seemed so gracious and so forgiving with others, desiring people to turn from their ways. But here, he seems to, to want n- nothing to do with the Pharisees and is set on, on leaving them to their own demise. You know, as you go through the gospel accounts, you'll find that Jesus was very strict when it came to those who were the religious elite of the day. I believe it's because they amongst all other people, they were expected to be representative of the Father, and they were not. They were supposed to be the ones that should know of the day and hour of His coming and should be the ones welcoming Him, but they weren't. They heard His teaching, saw His miracles, and were still yet unresponsive to His message. You know, Jesus did give them many opportunities to change their ways, but they wouldn't. And so he seemingly just writes them off and says, let them be. They're blind, leaders of the blind, and they're going to fall and, and, and just leave them be. I see here two things in this statement about the blind leaders of the blind that are important and worth noting. One is that we need to be mindful of those that we allow to lead us and those we allow to instruct us and to teach us. I think that it's important that we're mindful of those that we give uh, positions of authority in our lives and influence in our lives. And unfortunately, there are people out there in positions of authority and leadership, even within churches, that shouldn't be. And they are blind leaders not knowing the direction to go and not knowing what to do. And I think it's important to check up on the things that they say and teach. You know, the book of Acts commends the people of Berea for receiving the word with all readiness as the disciples would come and they were sent to them and they, they shared about you know, Christianity and about the Lord and, and this new uh, commandment that was out there. 
they received the word with all readiness and it tells us they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not the things the disciples said were so. And I, I want to invite you and encourage you to study the scriptures along with me okay? and make sure that what I'm teaching you isn't some crazy nonsense that I'm teaching you some, some wacky uh, traditions that are going to lead you into a, a ditch. And I, this leads me to the second observation regarding this statement of the blind leading the blind. We must be mindful of our leaders that they aren't blind. But we also must ensure that we aren't blind either. We need to study the scriptures and be able to know whether or not someone's leading us in the wrong direction or not. We need to know ourselves. And the only way that's going to happen is if you study the scriptures yourself. You need to be in the Word and know the way the Lord would have you to go. And that way when you see something that's not right, you can say, that's not right. I shouldn't be doing that or we shouldn't be doing this. And so we need to be aware. These Pharisees, they were blind leaders that people blindly followed. And Jesus said they were leading people into harm's way, ditches that would cause problems. We need to be aware of the direction in which we should go and make sure the leaders that we are following are leading us there. And I want to just sum it up in just this point. Don't be blinded by others' traditions or teachings. Okay? We can't be blinded by them because they, they can be blind and they can cause us to be blinded by it as well. So we need to be aware. Okay? Verse 15. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Peter, I, I like Peter because he, he did the things that we normally wish we would have done but don't, don't do often. And he asked. Peter came to the Lord and he asked the Lord to explain the parable. And although Jesus makes it seem like Peter ought to have known by now what was meant by the parable, he obliged and he explained the parable. Okay? Recall that Jesus is addressing the misbelief of the scribes and Pharisees that foods that are ceremonially unclean can defile a man if you eat them. That you, you're, you're clean and pure, but you take in this food and then all of a sudden, oh, you're unclean now because you've ingested this unclean food. Okay? As we'll see, you know, the New Testament, it actually is going to do away with most all of the, the strict dietary restrictions of the Old Testament law. And actually, it's Peter. You know, if you know your Bible and know your account, it's Peter who will be told to rise and kill and eat uh, food that was unclean according to Jewish dietary laws. Peter, he at first, he refuses. And he says, he calls the food unclean and common. Oh, I'd never eaten that, Lord. Uh, but God told Peter not to call common what he had called, what he had cleansed. So Acts chapter 10 tells us that. And so this idea that food can defile you, that, that really, that whole notion is going to be wiped completely away. 
And so Jesus here, he shows just how foolish it is to think that food can defile you. And he kind of gives a little bit of a, just a biology lesson of the digestive tract and says, look, you, you take food in, okay, it goes into your stomach and then it goes out your body. Okay? And it doesn't make a man defiled. Okay? It has nothing to do with who he really is. Okay? Very simple, right? You eat and that's it. Okay? Well, yeah. Some of the other verses get a little bit more graphic, so I won't share those ones, but they're funny if you read them. At least, fair. I thought they were funny, and Farrah's like, what's it with you boys, and you think that's so funny? And I was like, I don't know. Just funny. Anyways, in verse 18, Jesus exclaims that the things that come out of the mouth, they defile a man because they come from the heart. Those things that come out of the heart They are the true indicators of a man's position of cleanliness. It will say whether or not he is pure or defiled. Out of the heart proceed all sorts of evils. Jeremiah 17.9 talks about our heart, that the heart is a deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Murders and adulteries, as Jesus mentioned, they begin in the heart. And they are acted upon after they've already been started in the heart. They don't just happen. Oh, I I did that. You think it first. And then you act upon it. Fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy. These all originate in the heart. J. Vernon McGee, a popular Bible commentator, teacher, the Bible bus uh, radio program. uh, He said... What's in the well of the heart will come out in the bucket of the mouth. A great just illusion to illustration to our heart being this well and the bucket being uh, our mouth that brings forth these things. Jesus reveals that defilement doesn't come from the outside in, but rather from the inside out. The Pharisees were so concerned about the outside things, and they paid no attention to the inside things. Their hearts were far from the Lord. Their worship was done in vain. It was done to be seen by men. The traditions they followed were not ones that influenced their heart, but merely were outward demonstrations that were done to look the part. The Pharisees were more concerned with washing their hands than they were washing their own hearts. Don't let that be said of you. Don't be so concerned with the outside that we fail to pay attention to what that which is most important on the inside. The condition of your heart is much more important than the traditions we may or may not follow. Sometimes we do traditions, but our hearts are not attached to it. And that's when traditions become wrong. When our heart is in it, when we're doing it just to, to you know, grow closer to the Lord, when our heart's in the right place, traditions can be great. They can be wonderful. Okay? But when our heart's in the wrong place, they can be very, very bad. Okay? And we need to be careful. As we looked at this idea of traditions, we noted how Jesus came pretty harsh against 
these scribes and Pharisees and their tradition of washing the hands. And, and really because I think of a number of things. One was that we looked at how they used their own traditions to condemn others. They, they looked at others and said, you're not following our traditions. And so they tried to condemn them. Say that you're in sin because you're not following our traditions. And that's wrong. They placed tradition above the word of God. They placed tradition even on parallel, on par with the word of God. And, and those were wrong as well. Their hearts were far from the Lord. These traditions, they were more concerned with the outside than they were the inside. We need to be careful that when we participate in the traditions that we do, whatever they may be, that they don't take a place of authority that they should not be. And that ultimately we always want to put our traditions up against the word of God and say, yes, this is good. This aligns with scripture and this is something that's helpful. My heart's in the right place. Great traditions can be wonderful. But we need to be careful of the negative sides of traditions. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, just your word this morning and thank you that we get to just spend some time in it, Lord. And you did kind of have some harsh words for these scribes and Pharisees who uh, had traditions that made them look spiritual, that made them look you know, holy and really zealous for you, Lord, but really their hearts weren't in it. I, I pray that that wouldn't be us, Lord. Lord, as we come and we, we worship you on Sundays and we, and we partake of just traditions, Lord, I pray that our heart would be in tune with yours and that you uh, would just move and use these traditions that we keep, Lord, and uh, Lord, that our heart would just be yours. Father, uh, I hope and pray that we would not look upon our other brothers and sisters uh, in condemnation or judgment for people that maybe don't worship the way that we worship or do the things that we like to do or, or maybe they do things that we think are weird. Or, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't have a judgmental attitude towards them. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, allow us just to see uh, how traditions really aren't that important in comparison to our heart and then the authority of your word. So allow us just to have a proper uh, priority of traditions within our life. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.